Welcome to the Advanced Practice Weekly Podcast. Today we are on a slightly different theme. We're in primary care. We're looking at supervision and the role of the advanced practitioner and their supervisor. And we are joined by a trainee and their supervisor. So I'd like you both to introduce yourselves. So we can start with you, Lauren. Hello, I'm Lauren. So I qualified as an adult nurse in 2016. My background's in community nursing in London and I've been a practice nurse in Tower Hamlets with Salma since 2018 and now in my second year of the MSc in advanced clinical practice. Amazing, thank you very much. And your supervisor who is Dr Salma Ahmed, if you could introduce yourself for us. Hi, I'm Salma, or as you said, Dr. Salma Ahmed. I have been a GP for about 28 years, been in this practice about 22 years. And actually, Lauren is my first ACP. Wonderful. So I guess what people find really useful to know is what are you saying yes to when you become an advanced practice trainee? And also, what are you saying yes to as a supervisor? So if Lauren, if I could come to you first. So I think as a trainee, three things you're saying yes to. One shouldn't come as too much of a shock to anyone and should be too different as flexibility and changing plans on a daily basis. And we all have to do that anyway as part of our roles. But I guess it just feels a little bit more daunting when it's part of a different role that you're doing that and you know gaining confidence with that the second one would be being extremely organized you have to you have to be saying yes to that because nobody's going to be organizing your study leave your study days your clinics you need to be on top of that and the last one it might sound a bit bit out there but I've said being fully committed to your workplace so that's in terms of your training they need to be committed to you as well but also for the future because while you're training to be an ACP in your workplace, the, the role is being moulded around you, which is great for you, but you also need to take into account the needs of the, the practice population and the practice staff and the skill mix that you've got already. So I guess that's taking into account that if your practice has a particular need, you've got to be mindful that your role is probably going to be set out to help meet that need. And having some understanding is it's not just your personal development or choice. It's a little bit of flexibility on both parts, would you say? Exactly. And it's sort of, it's not just thinking about your future, it's thinking about the the future of where you work. I'm going to use the word practice because I work in general practice and thinking about changes that you you know are coming, services that you know you need to provide now, services that you don't provide now, but you may be commissioned to provide in the future and being flexible around that. And you're, you're saying yes to that, essentially. Brilliant. Dr. Ahmed, what are you saying yes to you when you agree to supervise Lauren? That might have changed over the period of time. So I think committed to a new clinician who is going to be in our practice so they already often are a clinician in their own right but they're going to become a different type of a clinician to shaping the practice and the NHS for new clinicians so you can make a difference to that and put your stamp and your thoughts and beliefs onto that and also hear theirs definitely committing to saying what they can do and not what they can't do but being aware of the boundaries of what they can't do as well. But don't get bogged down with what they can't do because there'll be so much that they can. You're committed to finding their strengths. You're committed to being a learning environment. And usually it's not just you and them, but it's the whole practice. And you said flexibility. So being committed to wanting to be able to change, learn and adopt new ways of thinking and learning. 
that kind of leads me on to a different question. So obviously yourselves can both prepare for Lauren becoming a trainee and you becoming her supervisor. But how do you prepare as a practice as a whole? Because as you said, it's not just you two involved in the journey. How do you help people understand those roles and expectations of, of that and what you both need with the support of the practice? I would say communication. Yeah, just communication. And that that it goes well three ways really because you've got the supervisor the trainee and the practice is what we're talking about so it's really important for the supervisor and the trainee to have a really good understanding first of all of, of what we're doing if we don't really know what we're doing we can't communicate that clearly to other people and we can't expect people to get on board with a sort of with a half-formed plan so in terms of preparing the practice, it just communication, communication about what you know, what you don't know, what, what you think something's going to look like, what it might look like, what you may need from other people, a little bit of persuasion to, to get people on board. And I think also the main thing is how, how it's going to benefit them, like really selling it. Um, and that's, you know, not just in terms of how it's going to benefit the, the practice population and the patients, which is the most important thing, but how it's going to benefit the practice. Because if we don't have a, a decent skill mix, if we're not all behind each other, it's just all going to crumble. Totally agree. And I think where Lauren says communication, it's about having supportive conversations with both the supervisee, but also with the practice. Oh, it might be uh, we've got someone that's going to be seeing, you know what they normally see, but they're going to see some different things. And actually, we'd like you to give them some different things, but we'd also like you to support them with some of those different things. And it might mean some questions or conversations that you might wonder, well, why are they seeing them if they don't quite know it? But, you know, you're going to support that, aren't you? And they will totally say yes. Or they'll say, actually, no, tomorrow is really busy. I can't do that. So just having those conversations and being aware of who can and can't do things. Yeah, that's really useful. Thank you. Lauren, can I ask how you prepared yourself to take on the trainee role? What kind of things you did? Yes. So <laughs> I hit the books, early doors. I'm glad I did. So I, in terms of hitting the books, the resources I had to begin with before I had the ins and outs of what the university course was going to look like and actually what I was going to need to study was getting on board with the HEE framework. And that as well was really useful to be able to, again, communicate what I was going to be doing with my colleagues and to try and get them on board and a really useful resource to be able to give to them. But yeah, definitely revising. So we were told at the beginning of, of our course, our lectures, which is more than fair enough, we were, our first module was advanced assessment and it was very full on multiple systems per day <laughs> that we would be doing. And, you know, they very fairly said we're not going backwards and teaching you anatomy and physiology if there's a system that you're not massively confident with or something you need to brush up on get good before you get into the classroom because we'll leave you behind and I'm really glad that I got a head start on that because the workload was pretty phenomenal so you will thank yourselves later if you you start that early and make sure you're studying every day and drip feeding it but also the summer before I started I joined a Facebook group I can't remember the name of it but a Facebook group for advanced clinical practitioners and that was actually really useful to sort of get a feel for the chat other people's day-to-day what it looks like the type of services that have ACPs who's established who's not common issues clinical chat as well to get an idea of the the level that they were practicing at um and so that was almost a bit of a, a warm-up and an introduction before I got into the classroom that's a really brilliant idea 
And I think you're referring to the multi-professional advanced clinical practice framework. Is that yeah. right? Yep. That's the so one. That's a really key document uh, from HEE in 2017, and it outlines exactly what advanced practice looks like across all four pillars. It's very generic. So depending on where you work, you can really take that and apply it to whatever area of speciality you are, so primary care. And I agree. I think that's really important because if you don't understand what it is you're doing, as we were talking before, you can't communicate that to your supervisor. You can't communicate that to the practice. So, yeah, definitely a really good read. But this probably is a question for both of you in terms of how do you prepare your clinic structure to reflect your training and what are both your perspectives on that? And how do you coordinate all of that? So, you know, do you need to involve practice management? Who does the rostering? Who does the clinic set up? That kind of thing. Lauren's made it very easy for me to sort of, she will sometimes come along with a kind of draft of what she thinks a suitable timetable will be, where there'll be her university days or where she may know that she might have fixed nursing days. And then she, Lauren will also know the days that I'm doing being a clinician. So if all of that is in there, then you'll often find the time for your supervised formal teaching times. And then you know when you're going to be able to do the ACP times. The other thing is it's really important for annual leave, study leave, to just plan ahead a bit and to have conversations of who's your second in command, who is the person that they can be the go-to if I'm, I use a phrase, I'm flat out now, Lauren, and I'm sure Lauren uses the same for me if I want to, if I might, that was a really interesting case today, and Lauren was like, oh, you know, back to back with nursing. So I think those conversations of who could they go to and just being creative about it, it doesn't necessarily have to be another, you know, supervisor with the same experience actually could even be our brand new registrar could even be um, our PA. So it's that flexibility and what about you Lauren? Yeah so we in terms of structuring it day to day the timings actually don't look too different to the days that I'm doing nursing and the whole thing doesn't look dissimilar to our registrars and our PAs in terms of the way the clinic's structured, how much time per patient, etc., um, and admin time. <clears throat> so I can, I, I've got quite a lot of flexibility. Um, I'm leading the team as of this week, which is pretty terrifying. But even before then, I would put up my own clinics on ACP days. So that there were there were no mistakes. It wasn't left to anybody else, and people other people weren't expected to know my comings and goings. And then with booking in patients, we're doing that ourselves. So that we haven't put over to admin yet. I think that would be a little confusing at the moment while I'm still training, especially to know which which patients to book and which to not. So just to save those sorts of admin errors and save time for everyone else, we do that ourselves, and we still on very much an acute day to day working structure so um, patients are generally booked in on the day by us or the the day before mm-hmm. brilliant yeah so as Lauren had said uh, you can either ask a supervisor to help you and know what types of patients you want could be the supervisee finding um, patients from the triage list or knowing what's coming in on that day or giving a very clear structure to admin as to these are the sort of people that you can see And these are the sort of people that you really very much rather not see, such as peds at the moment. And if by any chance some patients have slipped in wrongly, totally trusting your supervisee and supervisor that swaps can happen. 
So I guess now I'd like to talk about role transition and how do you both feel that how do you achieve that role, role transition from based profession? Some people listening won't necessarily be a practice nurse. How do you get from whatever professional background you are to advanced practitioner? Because it seems like quite a steep curve, particularly when you start out and everyone kind of seems to have a wobble at some point. What would your advice be, Lauren? to start with I would say I mean it's it's difficult enough with the with the clinical transition and so you that's where you really need the support of your colleagues and you need them to see you as an ACP or training ACP rather than a practice nurse which is what it was mm-hmm. it was very difficult when you're still doing both which is what a lot of people will do that's what I'm doing but I think the way you do that is by you just keep talking about it keep talking what what is advanced practice what do ACPs do what will I be doing how will this benefit the practice what am I learning at the moment what am I doing at university what have I learned this week how have I applied that what have I achieved so far you know sharing successes I did very well in my OSCEs this is what mark I got so people are saying oh I didn't know you did OSCEs this week what did you do oh I didn't know that you were learning that actually oh what did your stations look like oh that's really similar to you know what I did when I trained getting those conversations just don't stop talking about it so people really get used to it and I think as well I mean we're never gonna lose where we we came from and our baseline training but for me it was really helpful to to try and create a bit of distance in my mind from being a practice nurse and try and shift my mindset especially mm-hmm. when I'm coming into consultations because it's very different the way you're going to be approaching an acute presentation with a patient to you know having more of a practice nurse head on and approaching a long-term condition review so really moving away from that keep reminding yourself of what you're doing now you're never going to lose the skills that you've had you're never going to lose that sentiment but this is a new role we're not nursing anymore we're not doing pharmacy physiotherapy wherever you've come from and getting that new head on so believing it yourself but again communicating it to colleagues so that they see it as well so you're constantly showcasing it which is really great and you probably feel like you're talking about it all the time but actually it's really important for people to know and understand where you're at and the changes that are happening I really like that that's great advice how about you Salma anything you can give us any advice on yeah I really liked the fact that Natalie said you must have a wobble sometimes and I think it is a bit like riding a bike the first time and you might say actually I need to understand what a bike does and you said does it feel like you're uphill well it shouldn't do at the beginning because the first time you ride a bike you're not going to be going uphill you should be on a flat surface you should have your stabilizers on and you know all of these can represent things like your stabilizers would be a bit of a safety netting you've got people looking over your notes you're asking things um I asked Lauren if it was like riding a bike and Lauren said to me, actually, I think it's like learning a language. And I think, Lauren, you already speak another language, don't you? A bit. <laughs> um, so with a, with, it is a bit like learning a language because actually there's a structure and a framework within a language and there's certain things that you can box certain things into. So I think I was sort of trying to help Lauren with frameworks and templates and systems and patterns. And it doesn't really matter sometimes if you don't know the diagnosis or you don't fully know your plan, as long as you've got the structure correct. Because once you lose that structure, then sometimes it can go wrong. So I think Lauren gave a nice analogy of it being like another language. 
Yeah, the reason I said that is that it will come. Say in terms of speaking another language. In another life, I did a French degree. I lived in France for a year, and and it, it did make when you were asking about analogies, it did feel a bit like that to me. Thinking about my first three months training as an ACP, comparing that to my first three months living in France. When I got there, I had no idea what was going on. I really didn't speak the language. I didn't understand what people were saying. I couldn't communicate properly. And then, and it really was about weirdly about three months in. One day, I realised I could just under, I could understand what was going on. And I don't know how it happened. It just happened naturally. It really happened overnight. One day, I wake up and realise that. And it really does feel like that. Actually, it felt like that for me. Training the first few months, terrifying. Trying to keep up, second guessing yourself. And one day, it does just fall into place. But that's not going to happen if you don't have a supportive supervisor like I did. But, and actually, I love that even more because what Lauren did when she learned French was then she immersed herself in the culture, the language, the people, the food. And actually, that's why it's not just about me and Lauren or the supervisor and supervisee. It's actually come to my meetings, be in our world, have lunch together, talk to the registrars, talk to the medical students. It's almost like, and I think that bit about Lauren saying, you have to almost forget you're a nurse and now you're a clinician because a a clinician is a nurse, but aren't we all clinicians? Why is it I'm a doctor and Lauren's a nurse and then there's an ACP? We're all clinicians and it's about learning a different skill mix so that then you can prescribe or then you can see these patients because actually you didn't feel you could as a nurse but so let's change the thing the 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 wording to clinician and I think that's a tricky thing to translate by the way perfect but I think it is really really good advice about the the kind of supportive framework structure so that while you're immersing yourself in it you're using that structure so before you know it if things kind of like uncertainties or complexities creep in actually it's a bit like doing something quite systematically well actually that that structure will kind of be your safety net as a clinician in a way definitely so it only feels like three percent of it feels uncertain because actually you've done all the rest of it and you should never make that three percent really big because actually we'll have the same uncertainty I really like that thank you so I wanted to know how you structured your immediate supervision versus your kind of more structured retrospective supervision that you kind of have a bit more of a deep dive and, and cast a big light on things I want to know how that looks like so kind of GPs and trainees can picture you know what they could replicate in their clinics yeah so I think the the immediate supervision is is the the on the day I'm actually seeing and speaking to patients that needs to be somewhat supervised for safety um so we have our we, we've coined the term pre-brief so we have a pre-brief and a debrief so the the pre-brief is I will I will often know the day before or have some sort of idea of, of my clinic and the type of patients that have been booked in what they're presenting with and what I, what I can glean before I've spoken to them so if they've sent in an e-consult often that's really helpful that's given at least a little bit of history we also have you know their general history very extensively in general practice we've got that to hand so I will quick as I can present to Salma first thing before the clinic before I start seeing and speaking to patients this is who I have present the patient very briefly this is what I'm planning to do this is what I'm thinking we start speaking about differentials possible management plans to go with each of them I'll then see the patient if it's face-to-face and and I needed Salma if I really wasn't sure I can go and grab her or as Salma says it doesn't have to be her somebody else another registrar another GP to come and help afterwards we have a debrief 
So and oftentimes it turned out to be something completely different to what we thought the consultation was going to be. And there's that comes with learning every single day. And this is so invaluable learning on the job and especially within your environment and you know your your wider environment in terms of your hospital trust if you're in hospital um in terms of where to make referrals to who accepts what little bits and pieces like that you'll pick up as you go so that's the immediate and then the retrospective supervision we have ad hoc tutorials um so we're a big teaching practice so Salma and her GP colleagues do a lot of clinical tutorials anyway so I'll hop on those whenever I'm free so the last time we, we did eyes I'm going to do a dermatology one soon and then we've we try to put a, aside an hour every week for admin time and that was very much the stuff that had to be done the portfolio getting things signed off um, and Samuel was amazing keeping me on track with that so it didn't all, all get on top of us so that's that was what the first year looked like for us. I guess it's keeping those things separate as well, isn't it? So that you're not falling behind on all that really important admin university stuff that you have to get signed off that mandatory stuff, but also you're not losing the really important like nuggets of information that you're getting from every consultation. Yeah, I kind of see it as, you know, there's doing the housework. You just got to do that every, the weekly mundane stuff. Now, some people might choose to say, once a month we'll do your portfolio or and Lauren said I was good actually Lauren was good because I sometimes came in along saying I haven't actually read what we're going to do um so Lauren's like don't worry right it's there in front of you she'd have it all there for us and then we would quickly digest it and just do it um but the beauty of doing it as and when you go along is it doesn't feel boring or monotonous or mundane at the end actually it feels really wow we've achieved so much and you can always leave gaps and spaces if you're not ready to fill out those bits but so much easier than having a huge amount to fill out so that's number one number two I think if I just talk about the pre-brief and debrief there is actually evidence around this but I didn't realize that we were giving it the word pre-brief which I love by the way this is Lauren's word and um, actually, one of my registrars, I just said today, uh, I do this with um, Lauren, and he said, actually, we do a mid-brief. So sometimes doing it in between, you might do a quick screen message or you might ask things. <sighs> mid-brief can be a bit harder sometimes for me as a, as a supervisor. But of course, you've got to do it, but it's going to be really quick because I'm very likely to be in the middle of something. They will be too. So a pre-brief comes from a philosophy called solution-focused-based coaching, which is a kind of guided visualization of a conversation or a consultation that you're about to do. And you yourself want to work out what you might need to do it. But you are verbalizing it, talking it through and thinking it through. And I always give the analogy of imagine a plumber's coming to your house and they haven't got a toolbox. It's actually, what tools do I need for this consultation? What language do I need? What questions do I want to ask? And it might be, it's extremely unlikely though that that plumber's going to come along and say, I had absolutely no idea that I was going to need this and I've got nothing there. Because then they're probably not a plumber. But it's very likely that with that pre-brief, Lauren's going to have some of the tools that she needs and probably most of them and any that she doesn't have can be done another day or through another conversation. 
So that's a pre-brief, which is actually giving you the confidence, the skills and the tools to decide what you might need. And then you take a couple of them away. You don't get everything out of the toolbox. You just need two or three of them. And then the debrief after is to say, I did have all those tools, but this one I felt a little bit unsure about. I was using some knowledge or some had some gaps and I just need to do a bit more. And we'll talk about that. That's just repetition. That's reframing. That's rebuilding your knowledge. And that's just hearing how would you have done it? So you could do, you know, in a formal tutorial, you could do a role play reversal of what would you have done if you'd have done that different next time? It's really great because that can often inform your separate off uh, kind of non-clinical supervision content. I love pre-brief and debrief. 100%. Your pre-briefs and debriefs actually can be as short as you like, but they could become a whole half hour, hour if you want. And I'm hoping that becomes a little bit more manageable for supervisors as well, especially supervisors or, or prospective supervisors who are worried that their entire clinical sessions are going to be taken over by supervising because I, I, I personally couldn't imagine anything worse. I wouldn't be able to concentrate on what I was doing. So, you know, hopefully that makes it a little bit more manageable for supervisors where you, you know when you're going to be approached. That's kind of been prearranged. And then you have that big gap where you can get on with your, your the day job um and then dip back in again and you know that there, there aren't going to be those constant interruptions yep. so I guess you need to factor in if you're going to use that method which sounds really supportive for both of you is factor in a little bit of time for that pre-brief before clinic so both know that you're going to be doing that or whoever your supervisor for that period is and then factoring the time for debrief as well so you both expect that at the end of your clinic you're going to discuss the patients and go over it what I really like is that I guess as a trainee there's the uncertainty if they're saying they're tired like for example tired all the time they're coming in so you have that pre-brief to think right I need to maybe look at this guideline or think about these red flags and make sure I've teased this out of the consultation then actually they might come in and it might be something kind of completely unrelated like mental health and yeah. what you've yeah. got mm-hmm. out of that is yeah, probably yeah. all these like you say the nuggets of information of taking you down different ways that you can then reflect after the consultation and I think it's mm. such a great way to learn as a trainee and for the supervisor to get an insight onto what they feel confident about where their holes are and then kind of move forward so I think that's a really great way also to transition in your role so I really like that totally and it's making me think of driving tests you know when you're going along you're not expecting every car to be coming in your way and a passenger to be running across but you've practiced and thought about what would you do if and hazard perception is about actually what if there's someone about four miles away about to cross now what if they're one mile away what if they're two minutes away and that's what Lauren is practicing in her head before and actually none of those might Mm. even be needed so being open to the fact that it might not even be needed and actually something totally different is needed but how amazing that you've now got that toolbox inside you because it doesn't tend to go away just because you've not used it because you've visualized it and talked it through Lauren do you think that helps with some of the anxieties of seeing things that are kind of out of your scope but coming into your scope so for example I don't know if there's a particular system I guess a lot of students don't like neuro or eyes or that kind of thing and you see that on your list and you think oh gosh 
do you think it helps the pre-brief and debrief to kind of make you feel like armed with your toolkit for that consultation? Oh, definitely. Because as you say, you do have those titles. You've given a cracking example of title all the time and it turns out to be something actually very specific, but something completely different. And you've already planned in your head, as you say, all of the red flags, all your differentials. For me, it, at the beginning, it was cardiology. I was absolutely petrified. Um, but doing that pre-brief, you know, you almost, you go in there feeling over-prepared and that's, which, which is great, um, especially for the trainee and you know you you will learn very quickly nine times out of ten that chest pain is nothing to worry about it will be it will be a different system entirely and that's again more learning and about different presentations but then when you do have a chest pain that is cardiac actually you know you've seen this so many times that you you don't go in scared so by the time you do have something that is serious you're you're not going in anxious you're not going in stressed you're going in there feeling prepared knowing what it could be very confident in knowing what is normal or what is something to not be worried about, which is going to make you more confident in knowing what you're seeing is abnormal and what to do. So, yeah, definitely. And just one last thing. So everything is about layers, really. So you're not expecting someone, like you said, cycling up that hill or running 5K straight away. So with Lauren, I can't expect that all the sessions she's going to be like ticking those boxes. So sometimes I will say, listen, come in run in with me I'm about to see someone that I think is you know and Lauren right at the beginning I remember you seeing someone with me with a bradycardia of like 30 right at the beginning and I went right I'm calling the hospital now now Lauren is like seeing those patients and saying Salma I think you know we better do something about this and I'm being a bit more laid back but she has what you would do is make sure that my learning is also her learning and my what I'm seeing in the consultation is Lauren's. I'm not saying that's just me because I'm done well or done badly. Actually, when I've done well and done badly, I'm saying, Lauren, you, you're too doing it because you're watching me. <laughs> um, and likewise, I'd say if Lauren's doing well, I'm kind of saying, oh, you know, good on us because we found the right patient or good on the team because we, we're in it together. So it's all very synergistic, really. That's a hope. I think that's a really nice way to look at it. Definitely synergistic. Thank you for listening to the first in a two-part podcast with Lauren and Salma talking about their perspective of supervision in primary care. Join us next week where we'll be continuing their supervision journey.